0: Okay, so how does someone from the religion department, you're probably wondering, come to be working on ethics of AI? I came to Toronto last year with two very different questions, and ethics of AI was one way to combine them. So question one, I used to work in finance in a country just south of here, and one thing I did was design customized money market funds. I worked with algorithms that executed tasks that I assigned. The recommendations and purchase decisions I made favored the pre existing, the safe, and the known. And so did the algorithm. In this world, an ethical practice was about stable preservation of wealth. We made sure that nothing about the financial system changed. Staying the same was good, and change was called crisis in my role, I had to know a lot about economic history and central banking, too, although that's another lecture. I mentioned that uh, because yesterday a tweet went out about this talk to my banking Twitter list, so I feel a bit obligated to say that I'm not going to be talking about central banking communications or negative rates or the new Treasury Secretary um, in the United States today. I will talk about those soon, but not today. Um, So returning to my topic, here's my point. To countries and companies who have much much is given. Algorithms doing security selection learn that lesson well. But for those issuers in emergent circumstances, participation in such rewards is promised at some future time, and that future time never comes because the system staying the same was good and change was called crisis. So later on, I completed a master's thesis about different infinities, theology and economics, if you can imagine that together. It was about how each kind of issuer or debtor, whether safe or emergent, operated according to a distinct kind of temporality. The time of the safe was a time of perpetuity, of infinite uniform succession and the fulfillment of foreseen circumstances. The time of the emergent was based upon a redemptive event existing in a suspended and imminently apocalyptic sort of moment of already and not yet. As you'll soon see as very fitting to this presentation, part two comes before part one in my childhood awe of science fiction. So Mr. Spock was my favorite character on Star Trek. So it was kind of shocking to encounter Leonard Nimoy in another hybrid human role in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the one filmed in my hometown of San Francisco. The rational and reliable Spock of live long and prosper who provided support and loyalty to Captain Kirk became an evil genius who wanted humans to let go of emotions, uniqueness, and the very bodies that went along with that. Body Snatchers gave us the irony of the algorithm taking on the body that the human once lived in, but without the humanness. And what was our response to that? Well, it was fear. We all cheered when that scary Dr. Kibner got locked in the freezer. Yet when I was writing different infinities, I had another cultural object in mind. It was Roy Batty from Blade Runner. The Tears and Rain monologue is about the irreparable shortness of life. We hear the moment in which a being towards death, a recognition of unavoidable finitude, becomes the condition of free action in the world. A world Roy realizes he will soon no longer abide in. So we can sum the events of our own life in terms of number, but those same events gain a new meaning viewed as parts of a unity in relation to which they become differentiated expressions of something much less countable, our life. Differentiation is mechanics, but integration is sublime. When he gives this speech, Roy has just decided to save the life of a guy that was going to kill him or retire him. He saw in another's particular face an expression of something, a Levinasian interruption. And this happens precisely when Roy realizes that he himself would not be redeemed. He could only choose to redeem another. So something or someone about to fall a hundred or so stories is interrupted in midair and in time in a manner unique to the context presented. So Roy interrupts what is foreordained. This was nothing like Hal 2000 getting revenge in 2001 or Roy's own murder of his creator, Dr. Terrell, earlier in Blade Runner. But in that meeting with his maker, Roy learned that he would not survive. But this part is very important. Roy did not suddenly become merciful when he saved another's life. This was not a fulfillment of previously imposed human content, as if such content could be universally good or bad. Rather, it was a change of decision process, coinciding with a change in his perception of time. Now, the terms differentiation and integration come from calculus, from the mathematical languages upon which computation and digitality are founded. But to put this less mathematically, I think an alternative basis for the question of ethical AI rests in the idea that integration, let's call it the whole, bears something extra or something not apparent in the sum of its differentiated parts. Life itself is not known in the quantified sum of all lives, yet it is experienced in its fullness in the quality and possibility of one particular case, of the kind that the ethical dilemma generates. Freud's decision is not a useful one, it's a moral one, and it was not predetermined. It belonged to one moment, and it changed everything. In the movie Blade Runner, the replicant AI receives memory from human programmers, but does not learn ethics from humans in a planned or predetermined way. So why did Roy interrupt himself and what can that tell us about ethical AI? Other encounters with AI in Blade Runner and in later films continued upon less temporal themes. For example, AI encounters the performance of gender and the performance of body in some version of conventional female expectation, albeit within a context of survival and rebellion. Or a digital her, doesn't have to bother with a body at all, but learns about humans and doesn't really become one. And more recently, Bethany from Years and Years, who is very much human, desires transhumanity and released from her body. In a revealing conversation, Bethany's parents showed themselves more than ready to lovingly embrace their child's change to a different body. But when it came to considering that Bethany wanted to become disembodied data, her mother says, you mean you want to kill yourself? And the conversation doesn't end well. What all of these have in common is they're all from the same human vantage. They dismiss AI decision agency in very specific ways. They make AI agency all about optionality within what is foreseen and with certain predetermined and human degrees of freedom. Foreordained optionality is the realm of the expert that comes up with all these plans and scenarios but misses the outlier because it didn't fit their model. The model could not see or even name what was new. Models don't do interruption. If a machine holds a store of information, a store of rules, and an executive function that combines them, and some sort of check that all of this is accurately executed, you have a case of a foreseen goal. Causality is fulfillment of potential in the optimal sequence and succession in the least amount of time. So what is concluded, and not inaccurately, is that AI will decide in terms of its own survival, even in a perverse instantiation of its given instructions. Nuance is rare. Yet I was struck by a comic strip I saw recently, which I found to be a lot more realistic in terms of our interactions with the learning AI. Some mystery is involved and stuff gets lost in translation. In his much quoted paper from 1950, Alan Turing likened the layers of the human mind to the skin of an onion. In each layer we find mechanics, but we seem to say that these layers do not relate to the integration, to the mind as mind. Can we ever peel back the onion all the way in terms of AI? I don't think so. And that doesn't bother me, but I still have a lot of questions. So in Blade Runner, a replicant is not human, but it is an ethical entity. Is this a paradox? Is it possible? In this fictional environment, it is. But how about in the real one? Before he encountered the certainty of his mortality, Roy experienced time as succession, as a public chronology in which all minutes are rendered in 60-second content units. Much like the perpetually safe debtors in my earlier finance example. But encountering a concentrated time of end, Roy recognized himself as an event, more human than human, yet still not human enough. He was an incomplete future task, a promise without actual fulfillment. Like the second set of debtors in my earlier finance example, his only chance for change was to interrupt the game. So, moving beyond this fun hermeneutic of Blade Runner. We isolate the source of Roy's capacity to self interrupt? How do we translate that temporal perception change into the computational environment absent the subject? How might conceptual framings from mathematics offer us an interpretive lens by which to do that? Now, remember that self interruption is not the same as self correction. The latter is a foreseen condition of accuracy, and the former is an open condition evoked within the ethical dilemma. There's an overlap between the indeterminate and the ethical, and this is not often captured in discussion of AI ethics. The network has already been trained to correct itself across processes of gradient descent, of probabilities and weights of discrete phases. That's what machine learning is. Interruption and the ethical question are different. What does a moral decision look like mathematically? How is the unique and particular case given infinite precedent in its expression of difference And in what sorts of cases might such a question be applied? In the time I have today, I'm hoping to share a few questions that I'm asking. You'll see that a lot of these questions involve my reading of Hermann Cohen, as well as my situation within the field of Jewish studies. Cohen's decidedly non-psychologistic reading of Kant stipulates a logic of origin in terms of pure thought generated independently of the sensible faculty, making it potentially translatable to AI ethics. In the programming task, the digital mind encounters the human mind, and the human mind views the digital mind as instrument. A learning network is often conceived and judged as a robot, as a species of subhuman. Thereby, it's judged upon whether it could learn to one day behave in terms of an ideal human. But this is a stretch. The network is not a human subject, even as it's capable of learning and memory. But a network trained upon biased data and trained in terms of comparison to universal benchmarks, quote, universal benchmarks, is going to learn bias. This bias can and does lead to some terrible decisions. But this is not a case of a biased network. A network is not a static thing that can itself be biased. The network is a process, an activity. It makes itself as it works. So its ethics and its agency, if you will, are a process and an activity as well are unfixed in terms of content. If bias is about a bias training process, then teaching a network how to be biased and then blaming it for being biased is not all that useful. So when does ethics happen? Is ethics a regulative tool that addresses injury after the fact? Or more recently, does it peer into the genealogy of data to look not just at quantitative representation, but qualitative decision making? Alex Hanna spoke to us about that in September. Might it also, as I am discussing, choose to isolate a parameter like temporality at the outset? And how could that process originate considering that the network is conventionally understood in terms of calculative probability? Now, the following is going to seem like an adventurous question, and I think that's good. Could the learning network be a site not only of determining what is true or false, but also what is both and neither, that is, the possible? Can a network compute the possible as well as the probable it's an important question as the possible unforeseen space is precisely where the task of ethics resides ethics emerges to meet the new dilemma ethics lives in the unforeseen question that gives new content to old rules we don't have ethical debates about what's already obvious but rather about what is rare nuanced and undecided If we are to consider an ethical AI, we're obligated not only to control of error, but to a machine conception of agentic effectiveness, that's capacity to effect with an E, the unique content to meet the unique and unfamiliar ethical obligation. So when we say ethical AI, we're not talking about predetermined values or a list of instructions imposed by an external mover. We're talking about the what if, Ethics both generates and tasks itself in the pure production of the open question in the form of the hypothesis. Thus, ethics grounded in the very logic of digital environment is about the capacity to generate the possibility of possibility of the open question and its particular conceptual content in the first place. So consider that ethics of AI is not only about what content an external mover puts in or what we can eloquently criticize, regulate, or correct at much later stages, So I don't deny that these are important. But remember, people are not ethical just because they talk about how scary the computer is. Since the network also learns, we have to talk about what AI conceptually generates. And this evokes a different set of questions when it comes to the programming environment. For instance, can machine intelligence learn to engage hypotheses? And can these hypotheses as agentic or ethical settings be not only useful, but interesting, and even thought-provoking? As an aside, I've been perusing questions from theorists like Gary Marcus and Cameron Buckner to recognize that even as the conceptual apparatus is known via the content it works with, we can also ask an innateness question apart from what is empirically given. How much can a human programmer interfere, if at all, within processes of pure conception in the network without altering that process in the act of examination, content imposition, and measurement? So a version of the virtuality problem. But before I digress on that very intriguing topic, here are my three current focus areas of research. In reading Hermann Cohen, I'm considering alternative ways to integrate the learning networks, ethical, logical, and mathematical task. I'm seeking this in Cohen's linkage between the infinitesimal and the infinity, known in and as pure thinking, that is pure thinking as the site of generation and origin. On that note, What if the network's task was not only about efficient recombinant recombinant prediction, but also about origin, indeterminacy, and not yet? Can this both and be considered absent the subject as system or within a plural subject as another species of subject absence as viewed from the human vantage? As I asked just earlier, can a network compute the possible future as well as the probable future? drawing from a hebraic sense of time in which the anticipated future points to the present thereby conditioning our ethical obligation to affect change in the present can manipulations of the temporal parameter become a source of interruption that renders the foreseen in unforeseen terms i.e. renders the invariant of the ethical obligation in the context of the variable even infinite possibilities of the ongoing ethical task And how can the particular not be viewed in merely summative terms? How can it be viewed relationally, not in terms of an outlier to be dismissed, unnamed or invisible, but in terms of its own evocation of the entirety? How then might the entirety be inclusive of all of its members recognized in the form of community without imposition of the flawed conveniences of temporal succession and its arbitrary hierarchies? In Cohen's constructive critical idealism, I found the intersection of some key elements of my analysis that perhaps could form the foundation of eventual application to the programming environment. And I'll address these briefly in just a moment. But before that, let me quickly mention the other two related channels which will surface in future presentations. I'm putting Cohen's theoretical approaches into dialogue with more recent work in the field of emergence and novelty from philosophies of biology, particularly insofar as emergence plays in terms of epistemological limit or otherwise in terms of metaphysical necessity. In other words, does change over time necessitate a moreness or extra that assures that what is generated cannot be explained thoroughly in terms of what has already been? With logic as his grounding for both ethics and natural science Cohen uses the concept of the organism's differentiated organs and limbs as one metaphorical grounding in his discussion of system a system's ongoing motion and change occurs in correlation with the ongoing motion motion and change of its peculiar parts an ending or final static universal answer a closure is not ever arrived to and in a system this ending is not the point Thirdly, and this idea has been woven into all my mentions of AI as cultural objects so far, there's the question of the analog and the digital and how they can or cannot relate. This is a question that gets a lot of names often under the umbrella of aesthetics or affect or even in related questions going back to Lovelace and Turing of what is or is not computable or creative. There's this uh, Bergson Deleuzean angle that weaves into theories of affect. It's a strict insistence that the digital and discrete and computational cannot interact with the psychologized flow of an uninterrupted succession that characterize the fullness of human experience. Cohen will have something to say about that in just a moment. Still, act theory post Deleuze clings to the human and likens the network to a child learning language, a human child, of course, open to the possibilities of new forms of learning. But there's also a hesitation. Could that hyper rational child be sociopathic and terrible if left to its own devices? Of course, there's another way of looking at this. There we go. Involving investigation of the spaces of possibility that rest between discrete computational spaces like the interstices of the um, infinite series. Cohen's work approaches this question in a non psychologized, non empiricized way in the space of generative possibility afforded in logic. The true and the false, temporally given as the already and the not yet, unexclude the excluded middle, making the necessary site of the possibility of possibility. Cohen's focus on the logical and mathematical and his dismissal of assumptions of temporal succession and external cause, point to a way to talk about an ethical entity and not fall into the biases of being. A future presentation will go into the translation of temporal parameters into the programming environment. But for now, let's look at a few time and affordance elements from the Cohen thread, and then I'll wrap up. Generally speaking, one runs an algorithm to find an answer. Algorithms are not typically consulted by those seeking countless new questions. An algorithm gathers much and reduces to one, arriving purposefully at a point of closure, resolution, and not needing more. When the objective is closure, an open future is irrelevant. Figuratively speaking, an algorithm with a future is an algorithm that doesn't work. Yet this statement helps to situate an important distinction in Cohen between the sequence and the series. Those viewing time in terms of perpetual uniform succession prefer the sequence as an expression of time. Yet Cohen prefers series. While in the series, the activity of lining up stands out, the series also makes the series itself its goal, and in doing so, the series looks forward, not backward. Rather, a pregnant and promising ellipsis produces the idea of following as motion. The ellipsis then logically founds what is is to be followed and what must be followed for the series itself as idea not to logically dissolve. The idea of following them is anticipated as an invariant of the series. This anticipation, states Cohen, is the fundamental act of time. So stop there and consider what that means in terms of the ethical question. It means that the current act is fundamentally conditioned by the future anticipation. And this is not simple consequentialism of knowing exactly what will happen if I do X. That would be the case if I was following instructions or for fulfilling latent potential in a sort of Aristotelian arrangement. Instead, this is the generation of the event in the present in terms of a possible future, which is not yet. This is the already and not yet of the emergent indeterminate case of the ethical dilemma and the response which rises to meet it. Cohen states, if anticipation is the characteristic of time the future contains and reveals time i.e. the past is that which follows the anticipated future as the act of anticipation is time's appearance thus for cohen the future is first considered in terms not of sequence but of series there is no ongoing and uniform super addition of succession nor is there a metaphorical necessity of a bed or river of time upon which events might rest or float rather the activity and category of anticipation in which time is methodologically preparatory functions as motive for the generation of content. Temporality is the parameter associated with the origin of the possible. Mathematically, this translates as differentiation as opposed to difference. It is not a permutation that fixes elements into a final succession. This would render logic as merely instrumental to the needs of human psychology. Cohen alters such vocabularies in recasting unity and difference apart from the idea of succession, as his time conception charges the future with a qualitative, originary task, rather than assigning the past as a basis for supplemental or superadded quantity. But here's the quandary. The learning network has been designed by humans to operate within a Kantian, understanding of time as succession. So this pattern of succession is generative of learned bias. However, it is not automatic for the AI, except insofar as the human instructions prefer psychologized overlays that order successively. So if the AI in a theoretical simultaneity or atemporal setting, apart from the human programmer, theoretically, were able to change its mind and interrupt itself in its quest for the perfectly executed search, it would necessarily have to change its own temporal perception midstream, that expression midstream revealing a bias towards time envisioned as a stream or river or line. (laughs) Consider that for the algorithm, the achievement of the paragon is is fixated upon a limit of velocity. The desired collapse of the program of time complexity or the time of processing ever approaches but never reaches zero. The conventional algorithm seeks a succession of steps that close in upon time. So what happens to that closure bias within a type of process interruption that opens time? Are we looking at a trade-off or can we overcome that? Each of these cases presents a distinct version of the interaction of the ellipsis within the infinite series, and by association with the computational operations at the level of the matrix. Could the distinction between sequence and series, and the respective implications of each for the perception of time, introduce a developmental decision point in a network's treatment of the unique and particular case? Another way to put it is, What would or could machines do if we didn't saddle them with reductive, psychologized epistemologies? Can we know that? This is one of my research questions, and it also involves examination of the form of the function. Within the context of the infinitesimal calculus, the function is methodologically central to Cohen's examination of causality. The function is not merely an adding machine. Nor does it point to something outside of itself that would both subordinate it and deprive it of its own possibility of newness. In stating that the Y is new and the X is not, the function functions as a site of origin, as opposed to a site of succession. Asserting this connection in logical terms, Cohen reminds us of the limits and distortions of the psychologized point of view of succession as an arbitrary assignment of causes and results. Cohen offers a great explanation of this that I've omitted in interest of time, but what it comes basically comes to is that succession can only claim A and B to be the same or different. In doing so, it collapses them into a sort of totality, but in his turn to logic and to the form of the function, B and A are uh, viewed in relationship to each other. B can both confront A as entirely distinct and new and also as emerging from the infinite set. And as an aside some of the pushback I get on some of these research questions has to do with that rejection of the idea of both and and in the network versus this or that it's you have to choose one or the other you can't have both and 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 unsurprisingly I think we need both and 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 it depends of course on the context as to how that could be applied I've also sought a through line in Cohen and in philosophies of biology of the treatment of the relationship between combination and permutation. Consider the contrast between the permutation special combinative case being regarded in terms of uniqueness rather than in terms of hierarchy of being the right order. This would place the probable and the possible in a sort of correlative tension. It recasts the permutation in its uniqueness rather than in its usefulness in terms of something else, just how we usually know it in the algorithm. The permutation is a particular differentiation of combination, expressive of community and relationship, rather than an end stage of combinations run through to find the correct and superior one. And since the relationship involves the invariant, of the space between, I'll pull a little more from biology and talk briefly about affordance and then close. So Western convention views the causality primarily in the presence of something. There's a subject, and it moves an object, and it nudges or pushes or imposes something upon something else. But the Tao Te Ching that um, eleven offers a d- different view, and I'll paraphrase it in translation. Thirty spokes converge at the wheel's hub to an empty space that makes it useful. Clay is shaped into a vessel to take advantage of the emptiness it surrounds. Doors and windows are cut into walls of a room so that it can serve some function. Though we must work with what is there, use comes from what is not there. So it's not so much the absence itself that is critical, but how it affects what is left. It's the relation of space that matters, but the space is not known absent, the content of the non-space. So you see that the possibility comes logically prior to the probability. This is the space of the zero, the one being something already and the zero being not yet, which casts meaning upon the already. The question of origin relates to the question of ethical agency in that it relates to affordance interpretations of causality. This generation illustrates an interwoven causality in terms of affordance. In biology, you might inquire towards the range of possible adaptive selections from an infinite range. And in aesthetics, the space would be the location of unique context or meaning within the constraint of an invariant. And here's an example of that second case. The words you type into a meme generator have little meaning absent the structure or their membership in a series or set. The series is ever open, yet it's distinct In one sense, this is a computational act, and in another, it's an indeterminate and interruptive act, one of creativity and arguably even newness. Now, one could trivially say that every combination and recombination the meme generator performs is new because it occurs in a nanosecond later or earlier on social media. But this is not sufficient as an answer, as this imposes a chronological sense of succession, which is not innate to the network, as we've discussed. Rather, it's new in the manner in which it differentiates, it differentiates from and thereby recasts the integration, the series that remains both itself and different. It is the new dilemma or precedent which both contains and alters the ethical obligation. Now, for a data example, you might have heard of, about the bullet marks on the warplane. When the planes come home covered with bullet holes, The engineers measure exactly where the bullets hit with the most frequency and they reinforce those spaces. But consider what they were doing. There's an error here. They were strengthening the survival rate of the planes and the pilots that were coming home. Had they considered looking at the planes that never made it home? Or were they invisible to the set? Had they considered that those planes might have been hit differently? Are these spaces between, these open spaces, really where the attention should have been given. Consider how this relates back to my comparison of time and infinity as experienced by the different types of debt issuers in my finance example, or to other low-probability, high-impact events in which a purely contextual, unique response is necessary rather than, say, an on-off switch or a true-false. Like financial system glitches, especially debt market glitches, that tend ultimately to enrich the finance community and punish disadvantaged communities. But that lecture will come later. I'm bringing Cohen's open question to other settings, like category theory, or more generally set theory, and to how you establish the axiom as invariant in the immobile certainty of its statements, and to Goethe's theorem that in any sufficiently powerful logical system, Statements can be formulated which can neither be proved nor disproved within the confines of that system. On the one hand, the structure is impeccable and on the other, it's subject to that elusive extra or excess or infinity even that cannot be captured but remains open. This is the space of interruption. It is the discrete yet fertile space of the ethical. So in closing, the space between proof and disproof or true and false is not nothing when placed under a temporal lens, the lens of time. It's the site of the not yet, the indeterminate, and therefore of ethical agency. If we are to consider an ethical AI, we are obligated not only to control of error ex post, but to a machine conception of agentic effectiveness, that being the capacity to effect with an E, the conceptual content to meet the future ethical obligation in its unique moment. Thank you and I welcome your questions.